On our last holidays, our family went to Questacon in Canberra. It's the National Science Museum. Let me tell you, it's an amazing place, and if you've, if you've never been there, I recommend it, even if you don't have kids. They've got a lightning machine inside this huge cage, and every 20 minutes it goes off and it just generates its own lightning. I'm an electrical engineer, I love that. There's a free-fall slippery dip, and um, I was just going down it again and again. You climb up some stairs, you hang in mid-air from this bar, you look down and it's just straight down, and then you let go and you drop, and then when you get near the bottom, the slippery dip kind of catches you around. It's very clever. The Questacon building actually is seven levels high, and on each level there's a different part of our world or science and that kind of thing. And there's a section there on how the world began, about how scientists are using particle accelerators to probe the beginnings of the universe, quasars, quarks, Higgs particles, matter, antimatter, thousands and thousands of degrees Celsius, that kind of thing. I'm an engineer. I love that kind of stuff. Jules kind of say, come on, let's go, Wayne. But you know, I love measurements. I love theories about uh, how the world began and pushing the limits of human understanding. Now, just a bit earlier, we were reading some stuff about the origins of the universe. It was very different, wasn't it? Almost a bit strange. It's not the kind of literature that we may be used to reading when we think about the beginnings of the universe. In fact, you might have been listening earlier and thought to yourself, hang on a minute, hasn't kind of science disproved this stuff long ago? I mean, hasn't science made this irrelevant years ago? Well, I'm going to suggest no, it hasn't, because science and Genesis 1 are on about two very different things. Science, and it does it very well, is telling us how the world works. Genesis 1 is telling us why the world works, why we're here. In fact, Galileo said, the Bible was written to show us how to go to heaven, not how the heavens go. I think Galileo was spot on. And we're going to look at Genesis 1 tonight and we're going to see that it's very structured and it's moving through different parts of the world in a pattern that is all heading to one point, the point that's in your leaflet, in your bulletin. It's us, humans, and why we're here in this world. And Genesis 1 tells us why we're here. I find that refreshing. After so many theories of how old the world is and exactly how it began and how the human brain works and what consciousness is and as much as I love thinking about that, it's refreshing to see that as far as God is concerned, they're not the biggest questions. God wants us to know what we're here for. God wants us to know why we're here. God wants us to know what our purpose in life is and that's, they're the questions that Genesis 1 is answering. Now before we think about uh, all that and what life is about, I just want to look at how Genesis 1 works. You may have noticed as it was read, you may have even been getting a little bit bored by it, there's lots of repeated phrases, and God said, and God said, and God said, or and it was so, and it was so, and it was so. Uh, there was evening, there was morning the first day, so on. It's a bit like one of those kids' songs, isn't it? Ten green bottles sitting on the wall. Ten green Or there was nine in the bed and the little one said, roll over. And the way Genesis 1 works is those repeated bits, they set up a kind of a pattern and a rhythm that I don't know if you noticed it, but on day six, every one of those patterns was broken. On day six, each of the pattern changes. 
I mean, it really is like there was five in the bed, the little one said, roll over, roll over, they all fall over and one fell out. There was four in the bed and the little one said, roll over. There was one in the bed and the little one said, no, good night. It's the punchline, see? It changes. People here who don't have kids yet. <laughs> now, the punchline of Genesis 1 is not good night. The punchline of Genesis 1 is when humans are made. Let me show you. One of the, the first repeated phrases in Genesis 1 is, and God said. Day 1, and God said, let there be light. Day 2, God said, let there be sky. Day 3, and God said, and so on. Then we get to day 6. There is no, and God said, let there be humans. It changes on day six. Firstly, God actually talks to himself. He says, he talks about why he's making humans in verse 26. Then he creates people without speaking, and then when he speaks, he actually tells them what they're here for. We're different to the rest of creation. Another phrase, and it was good, and it was good. Every day after... God makes something, it says, and God saw that it was good. But day six, it changes. Have a look with me at verse 31 there on the inside of your bulletins. Verse 31, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Very good. What's just happened that the entire world has gone from good to very good? What's happened is that he's made humans. Humans are the pinnacle of God's creation. And it's not just these repeated phrases. The whole structure of Genesis 1 points to the same thing. In verse 1 of Genesis, the first bit Paul read, it tells us two things about the world. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty. It's formless, it has no shape, and it's empty. There's nothing in it, just kind of a mess of cloud or something. And then over the first three days, you'll notice that God gave the world shape and the work that separates. So day one, he separates light from dark. Day two, he separates sky from sea. Day three, he separates water from land. It's about giving the, the formless world shape. Then on the next three days, the last three, he fills up the world. So day four, he fills the sky with stars. Day five, he fills the water with fish. Day six, he fills the land with animals, and then it's as if the world is complete. It's made. It's filled. It's ready to go. But then, after all that's finished, he makes humans to live in the world. As if he's made the world especially for us. It's like building a house. You know, the shape, the lounge room, the kitchen, the bedroom, and then you fill it the lounge chairs, the pots and pans, the beds. But it's missing something because someone's meant to live in it. And back to Genesis 1, that's why we are here. We're here to live in this world that God has made and to enjoy it. Have a look at verse 21 where God speaks to the people he's made and he tells them their purpose. 28. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. 
We're here to fill the world up and to subdue it. Now, subdue, when I first read it, might sound a little bit harsh, but as we read on, um, subdue is actually about bringing the world under our care, uh, looking after it. So in Genesis 2, God says, uh, work the world and care for it. And it seems after hundreds of years of just using the world and abusing it, people are just starting to get this. Green is starting to become trendy, isn't it? But it's actually what we were made for back here in Genesis. Work in the world and care for it. Live in this world and enjoy it, but look after it. Work in it. Multiply, have a family, and even rest in it. The next day, day seven, is all about rest. Now we can have all those things in our life, can't we? But yet, life can seem empty. I mean, a little bit like that clip in About a Boy. All in all, I had a pretty full life. It's just that it didn't mean anything. We can be looking after the environment. We can have a good family. We can be working. Like the jigsaw, we can have toys. We can watch movies. We can have money. In fact, we can have everything in here that we've seen in Genesis so far, and yet still, life can be empty. And that's because we were made to do all of this under God, taking our cue from God, relating to God. See, there's something different about human beings. There's something special about you. We're different to the other animals. What is it that's different about us? Have you ever wondered about that? What sets us apart from animals? How come we put down a five-year-old horse when it's got a broken leg, but we don't put down a ten-year-old boy when they've got a broken leg? What is it that's valuable about humans? Is it that we have consciousness? I think, therefore I am. Is it that we can talk? I mean, other animals can communicate, but not like us. Is it that we're intelligent? What does that mean for people who aren't as intelligent? Is it that we have emotions? What is it about you that makes you human? What is it about you that makes you valuable? What is it about you that makes you special? Well, the answer to that question is in verse 26 of Genesis. I think this is the most important verse in this whole chapter. This verse, more than anything else, helps you to understand why you're here. Look at verse 26 with me. Then God said, Let us make man, that's man and woman as we read on later, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Now that's another one of those five in the bed and the little one said kind of lines. Plants are made according to their kinds. Birds are made according to their kinds. Fish are made according to their kinds. Animals are made according to their kinds. But humans, the pattern changes, we're made in the image of God. It's, it's kind of like, you know, the image of Queen Elizabeth on a coin. Or a statue is an image of someone. When you look at human beings, we in some way represent God. There's something about us that the rest of creation doesn't have. God's stamp is on us in a special way. We're not just physical. 
we're not just emotional beings, we're spiritual. We have the capacity to relate to God, to live with him, to live life for him, to know him. In fact, that's what we're made for. We are meant to represent God in this world, like a mirror bearing his image. Problem is, we're more like broken mirrors, aren't we? We don't represent what God is like fully. We lie, unlike God. We're selfish, unlike God. We take advantage of each other, unlike God. And as we read on in Genesis, if you only have to get to chapter 3 and you find out why. Because human beings say, Thank, thanks God for the world, but frankly, we don't want anything to do with you. Actually, it's worse than that. They don't even have the courtesy to say, thanks God for the world. They just say, get lost God, we'll take your world, but we don't want you. We'll use this world for what we want, we'll do with each other what we want, and we'll do it without you. And then we wonder why life doesn't work. That's what we do, isn't it? We get rid of God. And when God is gone, there's a hole, like in the puzzle. But rather than try and find out what should fit in the hole, we just try and fill it with stuff. We live for our work, or a hobby, or sex, or sport, or our children, or holidays, or good food. And we wonder why life has no meaning. We wonder why it's not feeling right. It's worse than that, though. Not only does ignoring God mess up our lives, it actually gets up God's nose. It actually makes him angry. When we say to God, get lost, he's angry about that. He has every right to be. He made us. And he won't let that go on forever. In fact, as we read even further on in the Bible, God says that he has set a day in the future when he will judge us for the way that we've lived in his world. And he commands every one of us to turn back to him before that day. God wants you to put him back in charge. And then he wants everything else in your life, whatever it is, work, family, rest, he wants everything else under his rule. The way that it was meant to be in Genesis 1. God is commanding you right now, tonight, as you hear Genesis 1, to turn back to him. Let me read to you what he says a little bit later in the Bible. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. Talks a little bit about people ignoring him. Then it says, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. That means turn around back to him. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. The Bible there is talking about Jesus. Jesus died to make it possible for you to be forgiven by God. Jesus rose from the dead and he will return to judge the world. 
And in the meantime, Jesus offers you the chance to be made right with God before he comes back. To enable you to live life the way Genesis 1 intended. Because we can't do it ourselves. Knowing God. Living life with purpose. Living in God's image, knowing him. Now if that's what you want, that can be yours right now. Or you can continue to try and enjoy God's creation, but ignore him. And ignore the questions, and ignore the dissatisfaction, and ignore God's warning that one day he will come back and judge the world. Now look, there's heaps more I could say, but we don't have time. I could talk about what it means to follow Jesus. I could talk about what changes in your life. I could talk about what doesn't change. We don't have time. If you've got questions, come back next week. Come back the week after. There's books up. There's lots of ways to find out. But, but tonight, from Genesis 1, I hope one thing is very clear. God made you for a purpose. And central to that purpose is knowing God, living with him at the centre. 2007, 12th of January, just two years ago, there was a young man in jeans and t-shirt wearing a baseball cap. He was on a train in America, uh, got off at a subway in Washington, opened his violin case, put it down open as a busker, started playing his violin. It was peak hour, so there's heaps of people going past. But it took three minutes before anyone kind of even stopped and noticed that he was there. Most people just ignored him, as you do. After four minutes, he got his first tip, a dollar. He played for 43 minutes. Six people stopped to watch him. Twenty people gave him money. When he finished playing, he packed up. No one kind of noticed that he stopped. No applause. No one missed him at all. Now the violin player was Joshua Bell, one of the best violinists in the world. He was playing on a three and a half million dollar violin. In fact, two days earlier, he had had a sellout concert at Boston, averaging a hundred dollars a ticket. It was packed. They had to send people away. This Joshua Bell, two weeks ago from today, played for President Obama. He's busking in the train station. It was an experiment to see who would recognise good music if they didn't really know um, the person who was playing it. They caught the whole event on hidden cameras. You can read about it on his website. While he played, a 1,097 people passed by. Only six stopped to listen. The longest was for three minutes. Now they interviewed him afterwards and this is what he said. It was a strange feeling that people were actually, uh, the word doesn't come easily, ignoring me. Now I love that story. One of the world's best violinists, one over a thousand people could have sat there and listened to him for free. I reckon if you'd gone up to him after a song, uh, you'd been able to talk to him. You would have been more than happy to have anyone listen to him. And yet most people ignored him altogether. All those people could have had something great. They just ignored it. I think that's what many people are like when it comes to God. 
We're so busy with life, we don't even stop to notice how beautiful the world is, let alone the one who made it. We just ignore him. God made you. God made this world for you to live in. He's the very reason you exist. To know him is what you were made for. Don't ignore him. If you do, you're not just missing out on some good violin music. You're missing out on the very thing you were made for. Don't ignore him. Paul's going to come and pray for us. Don't know if you're much of a prayer, but uh, it's really just talking with God. It's a great privilege. I'm going to uh, just pray now. I'm going to, perhaps just before I start praying out loud from the front here, I'm going to just leave a few moments of silence where maybe you want to have a conversation in your head with God. He will hear that. Maybe you need to, maybe you want to say sorry for ignoring him. Maybe you want to ask for some help in something. Maybe there's just a question you have and you want to ask him about that. Um, whatever, take the chance, won't you, to talk to him and then I'll uh, pray. Lord God, we thank you for the chance, even in this last hour, to give thought to you. And we're very sorry for how often we ignore you and forget about you and live in this world that you've made with and pay no reference to you at all. We acknowledge, Father, that that's ridiculous and that it means that life... It's not as full as it could be, but more importantly, Father, it makes you angry and we're sorry for that. We thank you, Father, that you warn us of the foolishness of that in the Bible. We thank you, Father, that in your Son, Jesus, you have given us a way back to you. We thank you, Father, that you've warned us too that a day is coming in which we will need to answer to you for the for the way that we've treated you. And Father, we want to pray that you'd help us to respond rightly to these warnings. And Father, as uh, Wayne has uh, challenged us, we don't want to ignore you anymore. And so help us, Father, to understand what that will mean for each of us. And Father, it would be a silly, tragic thing if we walked away from tonight forgetting about these great and important truths. So please help us to be people not just of thought, but of also of action. And uh, if we need to have courage, Father, to make decisions in our life, give us that courage, please. If we need wisdom, please give us that. Give us whatever we need, please, Father to make right choices concerning you and our life. We pray it and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.